0: There were people over in New Jersey that were watching it, a, a heavy Arab population that were cheering as the buildings came down.
1: No. Actually, that's not true. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight I got the feeling that something right I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs Clowns to the left of me because to the right here I am Stuck in the middle with you Yep Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you From Pacifica Radio's KPFK K- in Los Angeles This it's is so your broadcast As hard heard hard on, on, my 90.7, on my face. 90.7 FM in LA in Oregon, in Oregon, 91.7 FM, Oregon, 91.7 FM, Oregon, 91.7 FM Oregon, 91.7 KYAQ, KYAQ on the Central Coast And now on 106.7 K S O W, Queso in Cozy Cottage Grove. 93 FM W L R I in Lovely Lancaster, Pennsylvania. 88.5 FM K A K U, The Voice of Maui. And of course, Coast to Coast and Round the Globe on KPFK.org. Streaming on the Progressive Voices channel, on NetRoots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, Radio or Not. Radio Free Brooklyn, and, of course, Radio Sputnik, five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow from uh, bradblog.com. Thank you for joining us for another thrilling, action-packed adventure. We've got a lot ahead on today's show. First, uh, some business, as I uh, mentioned in the opening there. The broadcast is now on KSOW, KSO, as they call it. FM in Cottage Grove, Oregon. Delighted to be up there. Just wanted to uh, give them an official howdy uh, welcome. Uh, It's a uh, Cottage Grove is a small city in in sort of uh, south and central Oregon. And, and I was actually looking it up. Uh, several films have been uh, filmed in uh, Cottage Grove, including The Great Buster Keaton's. I'm a huge Buster Keaton fan. Great Buster Keaton's The General in 1926 and the movie's spectacular uh, train crash, locomotive crash. And the wrecked uh, train that was left over uh, from that became actually, I'm told, a, mon- a minor tourist attraction for some years until that locomotive was uh, scrapped during World War II uh, for, for use in the in the war effort. Also, parts of 1978's Animal House and its uh, climactic parade sequence was filmed in Cottage Grove, Oregon, and uh, portions of the film Stand By Me were filmed along the railroad tracks east of Cottage Grove. So, uh, very cool. We're delighted to be up there. Uh, my thanks to Donnie Sevilla and the good folks of Queso for welcoming us, uh, welcoming the broadcast. and, by the way, the Green News Report is also now on 106.7 FM. Desi awesome. Doyen. Glad to go. hear it. Yeah. Uh, that's Desi Doyen, of course, my co-host on The Green News Report and our producer here. Uh, as long as we're doing just a little bit of business here at the top, I would just want to give a quick shout-out and a quick thanks to those of you uh, who have helped us of late, especially as we're heading into uh, Black Friday and the holiday season. Uh, thanks to uh, our listeners uh, who have helped us out, stopping by bradblog.com slash donate to help us stay on the air without uh, any uh, corporate or uh, uh, p- foundational p- political parties uh, telling us what we can and can't say. We are completely independent on this program. As you may have noticed, if you've heard us before, we can say whatever the hell we like. And uh, that is uh, thanks to you folks for stopping by uh, bradblog.com slash donate to help us continue doing that. All right. Coming up on today's broadcast. Following the November 13 terror attacks in Paris, there has been a lot of folks turning sort of cartwheels to try and misinterpret the attacks for their own political purposes. And we've spent quite a bit of time over the past week since those attacks discussing the nonsense regarding Syrian refugees and the political opportunists who are trying to bamboozle the public and profit from, their, uh, from the public's xenophobic and too often racist tendencies uh, to, to block Syrian refugees who are coming here or trying to come here in the wake of the attack. Never mind that none of the uh, so far identified attackers were either Syrian nor refugees. And that France itself, and I, I haven't underscored this enough, France itself, who by the way we always make fun of you know, for surrendering all the time, they they still intend to allow 30,000 uh, uh, Syrian refugees to seek safe harbor in that country, and that country is much smaller than the U.S. And we've only committed to taking in 10,000. That is if Congress uh, doesn't stop us from taking any uh, entirely, as they are attempting to do, as we talked about uh, late last week. But in any way, uh, in any event, the misguided uh, fight over refugees is not the only such opportunism that is going on in the wake of those attacks. Intelligence officials, U.S. intelligence officials, despite evidence to uh, support their lack of evidence to support their case, they are using the attacks to try and block the use of encryption technology by the citizenry, by, yes, you and me on our cell phones and on our computers. Some of these guys, some of these uh, intelligence officials here in the U.S. are even using the Paris attacks as an opportunity to attack Edward Snowden again somehow, amazingly enough. So anyway, we're going to talk to uh, Trevor Tim of the uh, Freedom of the Press Foundation about all of the above this hour and uh, just what these opportunists are trying to do now. just uh, how are they trying to pull the wool over your eyes now? We'll discuss all that with Trevor Tim. Haven't had him on the show in a couple of years, looking forward to that. Uh, also, if time allows, as we hinted in the uh, our opening quote there, the the latest mass delusions, hallucinations, I think of uh, Donald Trump and Carly Fiorina and Ben Carson and yes, probably your crazy uncle at this coming Thanksgiving holiday dinner and mine. Uh, we will talk about uh, Trump's imaginary 9/11 fantasy if I have the time and and how that reminds us all of how uh, frankly screwed up we are in this country right now. Speaking of screwed up in this country, there was an election in Louisiana over the over the weekend. Uh, Democrat, according to uh, The Associated Press, Democrat John Bell Edwards won the runoff election for Louisiana Governor on Saturday defeating Republican Senator David Vitter and handing the Democrats their first statewide victory in Louisiana since two thousand and eight. Edwards is a state lawmaker. He will take over the office from term limited Republican Governor Bobby Jindal, Republican governor and I should add failed presidential candidate or uh, Bobby Jindal. He'll take over in uh, January from him. Voters rejection of Vitter, says AP, was a stunning turn of events for the U.S. senator who has been a political powerhouse in the state for years. He started this campaign nearly two years ago as the front runner, but uh, John Bell Edwards offered a rare pickup of a gubernatorial seat for Democrats in the conservative Deep South. After his loss, Vitter immediately announced that he wouldn't seek re election to the U.S. Senate next year either, creating a new competition for what had been a safe Republican seat. So, very bad news for Republicans. This weekend in the South. Uh, But wait, Brad, weren't you just talking about the fact just one week ago that when uh, Republicans won a gubernatorial election in Kentucky, that we should be concerned about the results from that election? Well, yes, we should be. And if you'd like to be concerned about the results in Louisiana, you can be as well. I'll talk about that in a moment. Back to AP. In the final days, Vitter sought to rally Republicans by drawing policy distinctions with Edwards and making Syrian refugee resettlement an issue in the state campaign. But it didn't work, at least according to the 100 percent unverifiable election results from the state of Louisiana. That's right. The entire state, 100 percent unverifiable. More on that in a moment. Democrats were ecstatic as Edwards defied expectations that only a Republican could win statewide in Louisiana. He thanks his supporters who, quote, believed we could confound the convention, the conventional wisdom that this victory just couldn't happen. It did happen, Edwards said. Uh, This became a, a referendum on Vitter. And uh, his past history, his uh, 2007 prostitution scandal, in which he apologized for a quote serious sin after he was linked through phone records to the uh, to the Washington to uh, the Washington D.C.'s D.C. madam, uh, instead of a uh, a referendum on the terrible terrible financial problems that uh, Republican Governor Bobby Jindal has left for the state of Louisiana. It uh, it became all about this prostitution scandal. So once again, we've got an absolute mess, an a- absolute economic mess that Republicans have left down there in Louisiana for the Democrat to have to now come in and clean up. Good luck to you, Mr. Edwards. Um, just uh, amazing. So uh, the uh, Vitter was also hampered by high disapproval ratings, For Jindal, who is blamed for those uh, state financial problems. Um, $30 million was spent on this race. $30 million when the final campaign uh, reports are filed. The contest is expected to be the most expensive governor's race in Louisiana history. But, Brad, what about the fact that you just claimed that uh, they didn't verify the, the results in Kentucky, so we can't trust them in Kentucky, and in that case, a Republican one. but in Louisiana, a Democrat one. you're fine with that. Well, guess what? No, I am not fine with that. I am not fine with that, and if any Republican in, uh, in Louisiana would like to challenge the results, that's fine by me. Now, there's a couple of distinctions between Kentucky and Louisiana. Uh, In Kentucky, the Democrat was winning by about five points heading into Election Day. He ended up losing in a landslide to the Republican by nine points. So that's almost a 15-point swing according to the election results, the computerized results, the results that are reported by the computer op scans that count uh, most of the ballots in the state of Kentucky. They've got a lot of paper ballots, hand-marked paper ballots. That's good. So we can verify those in Kentucky. But in Kentucky, as in most states, they don't bother to verify them. They run them through the computer, these computer op scanners, which are often just wrong, which often fail, which can be easily manipulated, which can be hacked by outsiders, which can be easily manipulated by insiders. And they don't bother in Kentucky to bother uh, to verify that even one of those paper ballots was properly counted by the computers. Meanwhile, down in Louisiana, where we just had this election, the Democrat going into Election Day was actually up by 20 points, according to all of the different uh, uh, pre-election polls, the independent pre-election polls. So the Democrat was up by 20 points much as he was in uh, Connecticut up by 5 points not Connecticut Kentucky up by 5 points and then he ended up losing in Kentucky but here the uh, the democrat ended up being reported as the winner now if you have any questions about those results and you very well may if you have any questions about those results if you would like to find out if in fact John Bell Edwards really won if you are a republican and if you have concerns about the results well, you're completely out of luck because the entire state of Louisiana, except for mail-in, you know, absentee votes, uh, other than that, the entire state of Louisiana votes on 100% unverifiable touchscreen voting systems. That if this had been a question, if the Democrat had ended up losing, even after being ahead 20 points, there would be absolutely nothing that Democrats could do in that state, much as there is absolutely nothing that Republicans can now do if they have concerns about those results. And if they do, that's fine by me. I think citizens ought to be able to uh, oversee their own elections. Democratic, Republican, Independent, Green, Libertarian, I don't care. Citizens ought to be able to oversee their own elections. In Louisiana, they can't. In Louisiana, the people who run that state hate their voters so much, they have so little respect for their own voters, that they have instituted an electoral system that even if they have a question, even if a voter has a question about the results, there's damn near nothing they can do about it. Now, there are certain things. There are audit logs, internal audit logs, that can be examined. Good luck getting access to those. It would take months. You'd have to get permission from from the state, from the, the, the proprietary proprietary makers of the voting machines. And even then, if you were able to find experts and spend the money for to look at those audit logs, you might find something funny or strange, but you would never, never be able to go back and uh, make sure that the results as reported actually reflect the intent of their of the voters. It is absolutely shameful what they do to voters in uh, in Louisiana. Louisiana, of course, is not alone in that. And there was more, let's call it good news for Democrats in the Deep South over the weekend when it comes to elections, this time in Mississippi. And uh, this is just amazing. Uh, according to The New York Times, uh, luck smiled on a Democratic can- uh, state representative, Blaine Eaton II, who had been forced by state law to draw straws for his seat after his race for reelection ended in a tie. On Friday afternoon, in a short, strange ceremony, as reported by the Times, uh, the ceremony was presided over by Governor Phil Bryant, Republican Governor Phil Bryant, and Secretary of State Delbert Hoseman. Mr. Eaton and his Republican challenger, Mark Tulos each removed a silver box from a bag. Mr. Eaton opened his box to reveal a long green straw, and with that, a mathematically improbable tie for the House District 79 seat, With each candidate having received exactly 4,589 votes, that tie had been broken and the Democrat was announced the winner of that election, of that otherwise tied election, of that election that was otherwise reported to be a tie. Was it actually a tie? Once again, we have no idea. And we can't have any idea because in Mississippi, at least in Smith County, in this case, Smith County, Mississippi, they have so little respect for their voters. They hate their voters so much they force their voters once again to vote on 100 percent unverifiable touchscreen voting machines. The very same type of touchscreen voting machines, by the way, that, uh, boy, at least 10 years ago, I think, at this point uh, or so, we uh, showed at bradblog.com could be easily hacked in about 60 seconds or less. That's by an outsider. Insiders, they can just flip the race with a matter of keystrokes. No problem. But that was down in, uh, in, in Smith County, Mississippi. Now, uh, the Republican in this uh, case has uh, filed with the state House of Representatives. He's filed a challenge. Uh, Mr. Toulos, he is a lawyer himself. He declined to comment, but he said he, he planned uh, he planned to challenge if he lost the draw and he lost that draw after that tie. He cited concerns about the way a county election board handled nine paper affidavit ballots. Those are like provisional ballots. Uh, when uh, voters, in this case, uh, where their names were erroneously left off of the voter rolls. They claim they were erroneously left off or removed. So they file an affidavit ballot. So they are challenging those. So this could all still change. But it's interesting that the only thing they could challenge are these nine ballots that happen to be on paper. The other, uh, what, about 10,000 votes No idea if those were recorded right or not. So they're focusing on these uh, on these nine votes. And uh, by the way, the Democrat, uh, they could look at these nine votes. They could find that the Democrat actually lost. And that's that. And if that happens, because you can't challenge any further, can't challenge those electronic uh, uh, machines any further, really. If that happens, that will give Mississippi Republicans. A three-fifths supermajority in the state House of Representatives. That's right. This one single uh, election here that ended up in a tie. That one person out there who did not cast their vote uh, could have made the difference one way or another between the Democrat and the Republican and a three-fifths supermajority in the state House of Representatives. Uh, That threshold, that three-fifths supermajority, is required to pass revenue-related bills in the state of Mississippi, and so, therefore, at stake was hundreds of millions of dollars in tax revenue. That three-fifths requirement has allowed the Democratic uh, minority in the uh, state legislature there to block Republican tax cut proposals in the past on the grounds that Mississippi needs that revenue to finance schools and other services says the New York Times, Republicans who also control the state Senate and the governor's mansion say that the cuts that they're trying to make include a proposal to phase out the state's corporate franchise tax and are needed to jumpstart the economy and promote job growth. Yes, the way they uh, jumpstarted the economy and promoted uh, job growth in Louisiana under Bobby Jindal or not Uh, anyway. So, yeah, one vote uh, makes a difference and the ability to oversight all of it makes all of the difference. And there will never be any way to do that uh, at at this time in Mississippi, where, like Louisiana, they hate their voters and won't allow them to oversee their own elections. All right. um, Yeah, we got a lot more uh, on on today's show, so I better get to it. I better better get to our quick break and then to uh, Trevor Tim. I want to make sure we have time left over for Donald Trump's uh, fertile. Imagination. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your broadcast. Stay tuned.
0: Don't talk
1: about the weather It's a military secret Just keep your wits together That's the safest
0: way to keep it
1: These are critical times Be careful of espionage Yes, be careful In such critical times You've got to watch out for sabotage Oh, you do. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com with you here. Uh, We we've talked a lot uh, since the uh, November 13 attacks in Paris. We've talked a lot since then about um, really all of the wrong messages being taken from it. Uh, At least, you know, when it comes to, for example, uh, Syrian refugees and the way that uh, so many mostly on the right, but not not entirely on the right. Uh, A whole bunch of Democrats also voted last week to. Uh, to prevent Syrian refugees from coming into the U.S., despite the fact that the attackers in Paris were neither Syrian nor refugees. So just completely wrong lesson learned. But you know what? That seems to be what we do in this country. But that is not the only wrong lesson, it seems, that uh, has been uh, taken from the uh, Paris attacks. As uh, Trevor Tim. Wrote in The Guardian late last week uh, the aftermath of the Paris terrorist attacks has now devolved into a dark and dishonest debate about how we should respond. Let's ban encryption, even though there's no evidence that the terrorists used it to carry out their crime, and let's ban Syrian refugees, even though the attackers were neither. It's hard to overstate how disgusting it has been to watch, writes Trevor Tim, as proven false rumors continue to be the basis for the entire political response and technology ignorance and full on xenophobia now dominate the discussion that technical uh, ignorance i think and the uh, the remarks uh, refer to uh, his remarks about banning encryption we heard a lot about that uh, in in the hours following the attacks and since then i think that uh, you know just this crazy hyster- hysteria about you know keeping uh, Syrian refugees out of the U.S. as some sort of response to the Paris attacks. That's That sucked up much of the oxygen in the room. But the question of encryption is out there, and it was carried on by a lot of, uh, let's say, highly respected officials, former CIA directors and such. But what do they mean? What are the concerns about encryption? And frankly, I know for a lot of you listeners, uh, you may be asking yourself, well, what the hell is encryption Here to talk about all of the above uh, is uh, Trevor Tim. He is the co-founder and executive director of the Freedom of the Press Foundation. He is a journalist, activist, lawyer. He writes a column for the U.K.'s Guardian on privacy, free speech, and national security. Uh, He has contributed to The Atlantic, Al Jazeera, foreign policy, Harvard Law and Policy Review, uh, and Politico, but we won't hold that against him. Trevor also formerly worked as an activist at the Electronic Frontier Foundation. Uh, Trevor, Tim, it's been a couple of years since we've had you on the broadcast, so welcome back, my friend.
0: Yeah, I'm glad to be back. Thanks for having
1: me. Good to have you here. It has been too long. Uh, we will try to correct that in the future. So um, what exactly—let's let's sort of start with the basics here. Uh, can you explain, so that even layman can understand, what exactly are encrypted communications and then we can get into the, you know, where they're good, where they're not good, and what the concerns are. But what exactly, what does encrypted communications even mean?
0: Sure. So, you know, pretty much everybody who uses the Internet these days um, uses some form, of, some form of encryption, whether they know it or not. Um, so, for example, when you log on to your banking website, you see a little lock up in the upper left corner. Mm-hmm. Uh, it says that the uh, connection is HTTPS encrypted. And uh, this protects uh, you from uh, governments from spying on your password, uh, from hackers or criminals uh, getting into uh, your financial information. And it's really the bedrock of e-commerce. Um, so you know, virtually any uh, shopping you do online, uh, you have to log into an encrypted version of the mm-hmm. website, whether it's on eBay or Amazon or Google or whatever uh, you are using encryption. Um, the the thing with uh, encrypted communications uh, in the past year has been that it has kind of expanded into our text messages and phone calls. So for example, if you have an iPhone and you use uh, iMessage or FaceTime, Mm -hmm. uh, those are what we call end-to-end encrypted. And so that means that uh, only the person that you're talking to and yourself uh, can uh, access the conversation that you're having uh, and see the words that are being communicated. Anybody else, uh, would just see a jumbled mass of uh, just scrambled letters. So if somebody um, was able the-
1: to tap the, uh, the the communications going back and forth in these conversations, in these uh, text messages and so forth, all they would see is uh, some crazy code that makes no sense. They wouldn't see the actual text that was being sent back and forth unless they had the key to decrypt that encrypted text, correct?
0: Exactly. And... Uh, the key here is that, with, for example, with Apple, uh-huh. uh, even Apple does not hold the key because what Apple has decided and what a bunch of other tech companies have decided is that they do not want to store a vast trove of every single person's communications mm-hmm. on a giant server and have one key that unlocks everything because as we've seen over the past year with data breach after data breach, whether it's Target, whether it's J.P. Morgan Chase, or whether it's the federal government Mm -hmm. or whether it's the Ashley Madison hack, when you have large troves of information that aren't encrypted and that somebody can access all at once, it is very uh, almost certain that some sort of hacker or foreign government or criminal or even our own government will try to attack that information, uh, steal it, and then potentially Uh, Use it for their financial gain. So this encryption is is set up to protect, uh, you know, the millions of innocent citizens Mm -hmm. uh, around the world uh, that, you know, try to communicate online privately or try to, uh, you know, do uh, banking or shopping online. And what is happening in this debate is that the government is vilifying this. Uh, the thing that actually makes us more secure, and they would they would like to actually lessen our security and make this type of encryption illegal now
1: is it uh, how, how difficult is it for a hacker when we hear about these hacks? Is it, are, are these matters of the hackers have figured out the encryption key or have they stolen the encryption key, or are we talking about uh, things that aren't encrypted in the first place and we only discover that they're vulnerable uh, after after the hack has happened?
0: You know, it's a little bit of both. For some of the hacks, its information wasn't encrypted at all to begin with. Mm -hmm. So if you remember the office of uh, the OPM hack, which was the uh, government agency that held all of the security clearance reviews that they were doing for everybody uh, uh, in the federal government who Mm -hmm. was applying for security clearance, that information wasn't encrypted at all. But in other cases, Uh, If you have a giant trove of information and you encrypt it, you know, it's millions of people's information, but you encrypt it with one key, Mm -hmm. those hackers will go and find that key and steal that key. And so what Apple has done is it has made it impossible for uh, anybody to do that because uh, everybody essentially holds their own key on their phone. And so, uh, you know, if a hacker can potentially get into your phone uh, they could see your messages, but they wouldn't be able to see the millions of other people's messages all at once. Um, it's, it's basically uh, the ultimate security feature uh, to protect our information in the long term. And we're going to see more and more companies moving to this model uh, because it's really the only way uh, to keep large quantities of information secure from all these hackers. And unfortunately, what the government is saying is, on the one hand, you know, cybersecurity is the number one priority. And on the other, let's take the best weapon we have to protect this information and make it illegal.
1: Are, are they against uh, I- encryption per se, or are they saying in- encryption is fine, just make sure we have a key if we need it, uh, if we as law enforcement or, or intelligence agencies uh, give us the keys, you can, you can trust us? Right.
0: That's exactly what they're saying, which is, uh, you know, you can use encryption as long as you give us the key. That's the law that they would like to pass. Unfortunately, security doesn't work that way. I mean, you know, put aside the fact Mm -hmm. that, uh, you know, if this was ever a power given to government, they would inevitably abuse it because, as we've seen over and over again in history, they constantly abuse their surveillance powers. But even let's just say that we trust the government 100 percent and that they will never abuse the power of having a key and that they will only use it when they have a warrant for information. The problem with that is that that key is still vulnerable to all of these other actors Mm. uh, who will try to steal it. So all sorts of criminals, all sorts of foreign governments like the Russians, the Chinese, anybody. Anybody who uh, has a uh, hacking unit, Mm -hmm. um, like all of these governments do these days, uh, they will try to steal that key. Uh, from the U.S. government, which, as we've seen, uh, is not that hard to do, given that the entire U.S. government, it seems, has been hacked over the past couple of years right. by various forms of government. I got to um, Whether we're talking about State Department emails that were hacked by, uh, allegedly, the Russian government, whether it was all of these, the 20 million people who had applied for security clearances, whether it's the White House email system, mm-hmm. all of these things we found out over the past year have been hacked and infiltrated uh, by all of these third parties. And we're going to say, "Oh yeah, we trust you with the one key that will unlock every single person's communications." That to me sounds like a crazy idea.
1: And given the fact that the U.S. government, at least as I understand, has most likely been able to crack and hack and infiltrate all of these other uh, all of these other countries, whether it's China, whether it's Russia, and so on and so forth, doesn't the U.S. government understand that it is possible? Uh, to do this, that is possible to hack in and steal this stuff. Therefore, shouldn't they also be concerned uh, you know, uh, uh, about foreign countries doing it to us? Don't they know that it is possible?
0: Oh, absolutely. That's a great point. You know, there was a, there's an amazing uh, story that was based on the Snowden documents that was uh, published in The Intercept by longtime NSA reporter James Bamford.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: it talks about actually how this is a tried-and-true technique of the NSA, where they find what they call a lawful intercept system in other countries, um, which is basically a backdoor that other governments have to their phone systems, um, And they find that backdoor and they, and you know, the, say for example, one this happened uh, at the Greece Olympics in 2006. Uh, the Greece government has a way of tapping phone calls if they have proper legal authority. Mm-hmm. Well, the NSA, allegedly found this backdoor um, and started spying on uh, Greece politicians, uh, journalists, all sorts of people uh, inside Greece that had nothing to do with terrorism. Mm-hmm. But because they found this vulnerability and this key, uh, that they were able to spy uh, you know, with no sort of uh, legal restrictions. Uh, required. And they did this in country after country, as James Bamford kind of lays out and shows in the Snowden documents. So certainly some people in the U.S. government know it is a problem. Unfortunately, there is a lot of technical illiteracy in Congress, especially. And so they might not understand all of the intricacies of how this works. And they think, oh, well, why don't you just give the government a magic key and everything will be okay when that's in fact, not true at all. And you know, and
1: I could understand that from uh, members of Congress not really understanding or not wanting to understand the science involved here. Although it seems like they could, you know, call Trevor Tim and just ask him to explain this stuff, and it makes perfect sense. Uh, but when I see guys like a former CIA official, uh, CIA director, James Woolsey, I'm going to play one of his audio pieces in a moment. But when I see them, uh, you know, making this argument, I just have to. St- well, I was going to say I had to scratch my head and wonder what they're thinking, but uh, maybe we can guess what they're thinking. I don't know. Listen, after the Paris attacks, uh, again, on November 13, because uh, we've had a number of them. We had the Charlie Hebdo in, in January and, and this uh, thwarted uh, train attack, uh, I think, in July. Um, after that attack, you had a, a, a number of these intelligence uh, officials, mostly former like Woolsey, but I think even perhaps some current ones. Uh, come out you know, to the media and tell the media that it was encrypted in communication that is being used by groups like ISIS and that that is the problem. They even blamed, incredibly, Edward Snowden. Somehow for those November 13th attacks. And I'll, I'll play that in a moment. But Glenn Greenwald wrote at The Intercept uh, recently, quote, credible news sites are regurgitating the claim that the Paris terrorists were enabled by Snowden leaks based on no evidence or specific proof of any kind. Needless to say, but just the unverified, obviously self-serving assertion of government officials. Uh, is all that was needed. Much of the U.S. media uh, loved to repeat rather than scrutinize what government officials tell them to say. So now this accusation has become widespread. Uh, I also saw that uh, Trevor Tim, for example, uh, Rachel Maddow on MSNBC, uh, she did a whole piece right after the Paris attacks about this program called Telegram, on how ISIS was asking people to contact them with Telegram and that it made it possible for intelligence officials It made it impossible for intelligence officials to follow the planning being done by ISIS. How much of that is true as far as how much are they using encrypted technology and how much does that cripple our uh, intelligence services from being able to, uh, you know, to to know about attacks like the Paris attacks in advance?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. However, uh, you know, unfortunately, in the days following the Paris attacks, it was just we were— Given all of this misinformation and oversimplification about encryption and, you know, the government uh, agencies, by the way, which have hundreds of billions of dollars of funding, you know, hundreds of thousands of people, um, you know, these extraordinary powers that we've given them over the past 15 years, uh, you know, with Uh, almost zero oversight, are complaining that a couple little encryption programs are making the entire Internet go dark, which is uh, frankly just not true and uh, outrageous that they kind of got away with with saying all this stuff um, without a hint of pushback. So uh, the facts are that um, it is entirely possible that uh, some terrorists, use some encryption programs because billions of people use encryption programs mm-hmm. every day however the government has plenty of ways to spy on them without uh, resorting to uh, passing a law banning encryption so for example they can still get uh, cell phone location information 24 hours a day seven days a week for so where exactly uh, these people are they can get all of the metadata which is the who calls who, where mm-hmm. where they're calling from uh, for how long and how often Um, they can hack into their phones and their computers. You know, all the encryption in the world is not going to stop the government from reading uh, text messages if they can hack into people's phones, which they do all the time. And, you know, the idea that a couple encrypted apps are letting these terrorists go completely dark, we know just isn't true, and we can actually go back and look at all the facts that we know about the uh, Paris attacks themselves. So as the government was kind of, you know, screaming from the hilltops about encryption, they were quietly admitting that they didn't have any evidence that these particular terrorists were actually using encryption at all. Uh, we found out in the days uh, after the attack that, in fact, that seven of the eight uh, known attackers were already known to U.S. and or French intelligence authorities before the attack. We know that they used Facebook. Uh, to communicate, which law enforcement uh, has long had access to Facebook if they serve them a proper warrant. We learned that they were using unencrypted SMS text messaging, which is about the easiest thing in the world for them to wiretap. We even learned that the ringleader um, was bragged in ISIS's English language magazine in February Mm -hmm. that he was in Europe and was planning an attack. There was a full glossy photo of him in this English language magazine so there was plenty of intelligence for the intelligence agencies to find these guys and stop them yet they fell through the cracks and instead of concentrating on uh... you know the intelligence agencies failures mm-hmm. and whether they actually have too much information let alone not enough, uh... they were able to blame encryption for all of this as kind of this shiny scapegoat that let them get off scot-free and uh, unfortunately, now that the facts have come in, the damage has, has already been done. And there's this, this picture in everybody everybody's mind that encryption is actually the problem when uh, it, it's nowhere close to that. And it's actually, for a lot of our security needs, the solution. It seems um, like it has been vilified in the media.
1: Yeah, it, it does seem like uh, these officials, and it always seems to be these high ranking intelligence officials, sometimes by name, sometimes unnamed. After these attacks, it looks like they are fi- trying to find someone or something other than themselves. Uh, as I mentioned, you know, the the attackers in, in the Charlie Hebdo attacks in January, they were known. The attackers uh, in the, well, the thwarted train attack in, uh, in France uh, were known in advance. Same uh, true with the November 13 attacks. It seems like they're always trying to find someone or something else to blame in these cases, despite, you know, the... Uh, just uh, amazing access they have, particularly when we're talking about overseas now, you know, there there has theoretically, theoretically, I underscore, uh, you know, been some uh, rollback of the access to American phone records, but overseas... It's, you know, the U.S. can do any damn thing they want. You would think they would, uh, you know, for all of the tapping and and everything else they are doing, you would think they would have some information in these attacks before they happen. And yet it seems like they never do, that that metadata never actually uh, results in a a terrorist attack that has been stopped. Are you familiar? Uh, And I do want to get to this Woolsey audio in a second. But are are you familiar, Trevor, Tim, with any uh, case where tracking that metadata that has been so controversial in the US, uh, wh- where that has stopped a terror attack, prevented a- an attack here in the US or abroad?
0: Yeah, I mean, that's the really dishonest thing here is that, like, for example, CIA director Jim John Brennan came out and said, basically blamed privacy advocates uh, for this terrorist attack, saying that the hand-wringing policies post-Snowden and the legal challenges and, and the uh, change in law... Uh, has really tied the hands of the intelligence agencies, which, uh, it, it, first of all, he's lying. Uh, number one, that the, the only program that uh, the USA Freedom Act, which Congress passed a few months ago, uh, actually affected was this mass phone surveillance program that only happens in the U.S. That program is actually still running. It's not supposed to be shut down until the end of the month. Okay. Um, so it's been running this whole time. And uh, for them to kind of blame this law that only affects this one program that doesn't affect any of their collection of intelligence uh, overseas is the height of dishonesty. And, you know, the, the idea that, uh, you, that they don't have enough information to collect is actually the opposite of the problem. As we've seen time and time again, often when these terrorist attacks happen, these people are already known to intelligence agencies, or there's some obvious clue that uh, should have alerted intelligence agencies to watch them closer. But unfortunately, they're while they're trying to catch terrorists, they're also collecting information on hundreds of millions of innocent people at the same time and actually drowning in information. And so all of these obvious clues, because they're not focusing mm-hmm. on just the people they should be focusing on, instead, they're focusing on the entire populations, uh, are kind of being left in the dust. And we have a situation in the, like the Paris attacks where you know, there's obvious things like I just saw on Twitter here that, you know, one of the attackers uh, on their Facebook profile had publicly posted a picture of an AK-47, you know, days before uh, the attack went down. So, uh, you know, it's unfortunate, you know, nobody's arguing that that we shouldn't be uh, surveilling terrorists under proper court supervision. It's the It's the surveillance of hundreds of millions of innocent people that is both unconstitutional and just ineffective.
1: Both taking away rights and creating a needle in a haystack uh, situation. Uh, All right, let me uh, very quick, we've got just a a minute or two left here. We're speaking with Trevor Tim of the Freedom of the Press Foundation uh, and a columnist at uh, the UK's Guardian. Uh, Trevor, I want to get your thoughts on on this uh, clip from James Woolsey, a former CIA director, I think uh, under... uh, uh, under Bill Clinton, what was was he not, uh, Trevor? Yeah. Uh, yep. Under Bill Clinton, I, this is just an amazing clip to me uh, on on at least two different scores. Uh, let me play this uh, thirty seconds, and then I'll I'll get your take on on both of these points because. This is just amazing to me. James Woolsey on CNN uh, just last week, I think, uh, in the wake of the uh, the Paris terror attacks.
0: I said that I thought he ought to be brought back to the United States and tried before a jury of his uh, peers, if convicted of treason, which is, I think, the appropriate uh, uh, charge. Um, Didn't you say you thought he yeah, had well, still a It's still a capital crime, and I would uh, give him the death sentence, and I would uh, prefer to see him hanged by the neck until he was dead, rather now, than merely electrocuted. Now,
1: he's He's talking about Edward Snowden there, by the way, Uh, and I should have made that clear at the top. He's talking about Edward Snowden. He's not talking about one of the terrorists of the attacks. He's talking about Edward Snowden being hanged by the neck until he was dead. And then he went on to say,
0: I think the blood of a lot of these French uh, young people is on his hands Uh, because of
1: what he revealed because
0: of what he turned loose.
1: Wow. Wow. Uh, Hang Edward Snowden by the neck until he is dead, Trevor Tim, and blood is on his hands uh, in in France because of what he set loose. Can you even begin to explain to me what he is, what he actually means there and then how he's just, and and whether he's right or wrong?
0: I mean, it is honestly disgusting. Not only disgusting that that James Woolsey was led on CNN to discuss his fantasies uh, about killing Snowden and the different ways that he would go about it. But the CNN anchors, time and time again, provide absolutely no pushback against this. Mm-hmm. The idea that um, you know, terrorists suddenly discovered that the U.S. government was surveilling them after Edward Snowden, or that they had never heard of encryption before the Edward Snowden attacks is ludicrous. I mean, we have article after article from every major newspaper going back to the mid-'90s talking about how terrorists uh, use sophisticated levels of encryption and are, and are fully aware the U.S. government is trying to surveil them. Um, and this is, again, just a, a scapegoat that former and current intelligence officials are using to uh, you know, hide and cover up their own failures. And when they're out there blaming Snowden, no one, else is, no one is asking them questions about what they could have done better mm-hmm. or where they failed. Um, and so, uh, you know, it's a. To be honest, it was it was a pretty masterful PR tactic by them. And um, unfortunately, the media uh, took it hook, line, and sinker. And especially on television, you know, print media eventually figured it out and started writing, um, you know, kind of the truth uh, along with rebuttals to actually what was going on. But you know, on CNN, it's just like that twenty-four hours a day, and. They continue to have on intelligence officials, kind of spewing this garbage uh, with with no pushback. With no pushback, it's,
1: it's it, it really is, you know. And I, I'd expect that sort of thing. I uh, hang him by the neck until he was dead. Edward Snowden has blood on his hands after Paris. I'd expect that from the uh, from the bowels of you know far right wing Fox News. But this is uh, not just CNN, but a former CIA director under Bill Clinton. It's just amazing, and no pushback from CNN, and all of this sort of disappears into the ether uh, as we uh, see all of the, you know, the nonsense about Syrian refugees. So I wanted to bring out this uh, c- concern, this so-called debate about encryption, because I think it is getting lost. And uh, Trevor, uh, r- greatly appreciate you bringing it uh, to the forefront in your uh, column at uh, at The Guardian. And uh, you should check out uh, Trevor's work. He is the co-founder and executive director of the Freedom of the Press Foundation, which you can find on the internets at freedom.press. Do I have that right, that URL?
0: Yeah, that's right. We actually have a... They just started releasing these .press uh, domains late last year, and so we were one of the first ones,
1: freedom.press. That's very cool. You can also spy all you like on Trevor Tim on the Twitters. He is Trevor Tim with two Ms, uh, and also uh, at freedomofpress on Twitter. Uh, Trevor, great to talk to you, my friend, and, and hope we get to do it again soon.
0: Yeah, thanks
1: for having me. That was fun. You bet. All right, a quick break and we are back with more broadcast right after this. Welcome back to the broadcast and to the crazy train, brother. Uh, over the weekend, uh, what was it? boy? You know, I hate even covering this stuff, but it, it, it's just—it's so amazing what's going on on the Republican side of the uh, of the aisle. The presidential race It's just absolutely amazing. All right, to tell this story very quickly, let's go back just a few weeks. Carly Fiorina at uh, one of the Republican debates, I can't even remember which one this was, Uh, coming out and telling us that she saw in this video this absolutely horrible, horrific scene.
0: I dare Hillary Clinton, Barack Obama, to watch these tapes, watch a fully formed fetus on the table, its heart beating, its legs kicking while someone says we have to keep it alive to harvest its brain. This is about the character of our nation. And if we will not stand up and force President Obama to veto this bill, shame on us.
1: Wow, that does sound horrible. Of course, that was uh, this uh, video that was uh, supposedly made showing these uh, terrible things done at Planned Parenthood. The only problem is that there is apparently no such footage like uh, what uh, Carly Fiorina just described in that uh, in that debate. And then she was asked about it. Uh, where was this Desi Doyne? She was asked on, it was on Fox News Sunday. Chris Fox- Wallace. Oh, that's right. Chris Wallace, the liberal media Fox News uh, Sunday. Chris Wallace uh, put it to her and said, yeah, nobody actually has uh, ever seen that that footage.
0: Do you acknowledge what every fact checker has found that as horrific as that scene is, it was only described on the video by someone who claimed to have seen it, there is not no actual footage of the incident that you just mentioned? No, I don't accept that at all. I've seen the footage and I find it amazing, actually, that all these supposed fact checkers in the mainstream media claim this doesn't exist. They're trying to attack the authenticity of the videotape. I will continue to dare anyone. Who wants to continue to fund Planned Parenthood, watch the videotape.
1: So she uh, just doesn't accept the fact that nobody can find it. None of the fact checkers can find it, and her campaign was unable to bring it forward. They haven't been able to bring it forward uh, to this day, and I think that was, uh, well, that was several weeks ago, wasn't it? Uh, back, in, uh, yeah, that was back in September. Yeah. And But Fiorina is certain that she saw it. It doesn't matter that people tell her she didn't see it. It doesn't matter that nobody has been able to bring forward that footage. She knows she saw it, and she's going with it. Even though Fox News is calling her out on it, she's going with it. Fast forward to the weekend. <sighs> Donald Trump at an, event, at an event, by the way, where some of his uh, supporters beat up a protester, punched and kicked the protester. Which, of course, Donald Trump is not responsible for. You know, every uh, Muslim in the world is responsible for any uh, attack, a terrorist attack that ever it takes place, carried out by a Muslim, uh, according to Donald Trump. But he's not responsible when his own supporters beat the crap out of someone at an event. But never mind that. Uh, here's what he had to say about 9/11 and what happened on 9/11 that he knows, that he remembers, that he personally saw. I watched when the World
0: Trade Center came tumbling down. And I watched in Jersey City, New Jersey, where thousands and thousands of people were cheering
1: as that building was coming down. Thousands of people were cheering. Thousands of people, thousands and thousands, and Donald Trump watched. And, of course, what he's trying to say is that these were uh, supporters, sympathizers, Muslims who were happy to see the uh, World Trade Center coming down. Donald Trump saw it. He watched it. He saw the footage. Everyone saw it. We all watched. There was thousands and thousands of, of people cheering, though. Funny thing, nobody can seem to, to find that uh, footage. Not the Trump campaign, not any other. And Donald Trump was then called on it by ABC News, by uh, George Stephanopoulos on uh, ABC This Week.
0: You know, the police say that didn't happen, and all those rumors have been on the internet for some time. So, did you miss- misspeak it did yesterday? Happen. I
1: saw it. it you was saw that with your I own eyes?
0: George, did say happen. It didn't happen. there were people that were cheering oh, in the other side of New Jersey where you have large Arab populations. They were cheering as the World Trade Center came down. I know it might be not politically correct for you to talk about <laughs> it, but there were people cheering as that building came down, as those buildings came down. And that tells you something. It was well covered at the time, George. Now, I know they don't like to talk about it, but it was well covered at the time. There were people over in New Jersey that were watching it, a heavy Arab population that were cheering as the buildings came down. Not good. Uh, as I said, the police have said it didn't happen. What well, I want to move on right now, of course, so
1: arrivals rivals of Palestinian it, uh, database. Comments. It was heavily covered at the time. The media covered it a lot. And yet no one can seem to come up with any footage showing thousands and thousands of people in New Jersey cheering the buildings coming down. Now, there were there was some footage, uh, I think, of uh, people in Palestine supposedly uh, cheering this on. Uh, and yet, somehow, in Trump's mind, he is certain that he saw thousands and thousands in New Jersey celebrating as the, uh, as the towers were coming down, much as Carly Fiorina is certain that she saw this horrific abortion scene happening on a table in this Planned Parenthood video that no one else has seen. But they saw it. They were told they saw it. They're sticking with it, even though they've been called out on it, even though they've been asked to, uh, to show us where that footage is. I think that Carly Fiorina actually thinks she saw this. I think Donald Trump actually thinks he saw it. Ben Carson was asked about this very same uh, scene by ABC News, and and here was Ben Carson's response. Dr. Carson, were American Muslims in New Jersey cheering on 9-11 when the towers fell? Did you hear about that or see that? Yes. Yes. Can you expand on that? Uh, Well, you know, there are going to be people who respond inappropriately to virtually everything. I think that was an inappropriate response. I don't know if on the basis of that you can say all Muslims are bad people. I I really think that would be a stretch.
0: Did you see that happening, though, on
1: 9-11? I saw the the film of it. In New Jersey. Yeah. Yeah. In New Jersey, yeah, he saw it. He saw it. We all saw it. Donald Trump saw it. Carly Fiorina saw that horrible uh, abortion scene. They saw it. No, they didn't see it. They were told that's what happened. They were told that's what happened because they watch Fox News, and that's what Fox News tells them. Oh, people in New Jersey, thousands were cheering when the World Trade Center came down. No, they didn't. They didn't. There is no such footage. There is no such video. There was a horrible uh, scene Planned Parenthood is selling uh, baby parts. No, no, they're actually, they're not. But that's what Fox News told them, and that's what these people actually believe. I don't think Donald Trump is lying. I don't think Fiorina is lying. I don't think Ben Carson is lying. I think they think they saw this, and this is the delusional world that Republicans now live in. They see what they want to see, whether it exists or not. And there are many, many, Many Americans who are joining them in this mass hallucination because they have they watch Fox News, too, and they are told that this is what they saw and they believe it. And this makes it incredibly difficult to run against these people or to argue with them at your Thanksgiving dinner table. Because these are people who are deadly convinced of a completely alternate reality. Fiorina, I believe, thinks she saw it. Donald Trump, I believe, thinks he saw it. Ben Carson thinks he saw it because someone told them that they did. I believe that your crazy uncle and mine believe that Syrian refugees were behind the Paris attacks because Fox News told them so. And that Black Lives Matter protesters are actually out there killing police because that's what Fox News told them. This is what they've been told from their right wing media sources and everyone else who tells them otherwise is a liberal liar. So these hallucinations have replaced reality inside the Republican wingnut bubble, and now only superheroes like Donald Trump can fly in and save the world from this pretend reality that they themselves have created. And unfortunately, I must say, I see precious little on the horizon. I see nothing, in fact, that is going to shake these people from their paranoid, nonsensical, fantastical fever dreams. And that should be very troubling to every American and every citizen of the world. Unfortunately, nothing's going to shake them because there are just too many people making too much money from the ignorance of their audiences. And so it will continue. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to our booking goddess, Cynthia Cohn, to my guest today, Trevor Tim, of Freedom of the Press Foundation. And, of course, to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of the show stop by bradblog.com where you can download it for free anytime anywhere and follow us on the facebooks and the twitters at the brad blog i'm brad friedman until we meet again good luck world Everybody.